Now, if you have your Bibles, I hope that you do, and I hope that you're excited as I am to open up God's Word. Let me hear you open up to Colossians chapter 3 tonight. Come on, Ethan. Come on. We're going to talk about culture tonight, very timely. So Colossians chapter 3. Now, as we look at our series, Who Am I? We are in the week that is part two of being secure in Christ. So if you remember, I told you I've got six messages for you. And each of them are part twos. Well, this is part two coming off of a couple of weeks ago. So in your notes, if you want to, this is not the title, but I want you to go ahead and write down in your notes, In Christ I Am Secure, part two, just so you know that this is where we're heading for the night. And as you write that down, I want to give you my title, and you may have saw it on social media last night. The title of the message is very simple. Here it is, Good Friend Versus Godly Friends. So where we're going to land tonight is Good Friend Versus Godly Friends. And as we look at Colossians chapter 3, I want to give you some questions tonight on a two-sided front. Your friendship and how people are friends to you, which is a big deal in college. Now, for me, I've always loved basketball. You guys know this. You guys know I come from a coaching background. You know, I love the Memphis Grizzlies, who are doing incredible right now, even though Jaws hurt. I believe he's coming back. I'm a big Grizzlies fan, been a Grizzlies fan since they played at the Pyramid. I went to the games in 2003 at the Pyramid. And when you set up high at the Pyramid, you felt like you were going to fall onto the court. Like that narrow, I don't know if anybody in here went, but that narrow top, you felt like you were hanging over the basketball court. It was scary. So praise God they built the FedEx Forum. I've been a Grizzlies fan my entire life. I love basketball. I played basketball. I coached basketball. I mean, I love basketball. And for me, I never have forgotten a season a few years ago when I was coaching, if you will. I was coaching at Bartlett High School, and I was in that world, man, I was surrounded by these guys seven days a week, building relationships with them. I was lost at the time. I got saved halfway through coaching. And so I was lost early on. But I began building a relationship with these players. And I'll never forget one season that I want to tell you about tonight. We had a tough season for a lot of reasons. We had one really, really good player. And then we had 11 below average players, right? Some of you have been on those teams. Some of you were that really, really good player. And then some of you maybe were like me and you were that below average player, right? Everybody knows who the best player is. In basketball, especially in middle school, high school, if you can use both hands, you're a really good player. Yeah, amen. And so this season was tough. We had one really good, and not just player, here's how I'll pose it to you. We had one really good leader and 11 below average to bad leaders. I'm just going to be honest with you tonight. One really good leader and 11 below average bad leaders. And it was a tough season for a lot of those reasons. Now, let me tell you about this one player. We were so encouraged by the way that he played the game. We were so encouraged by the way that he carried and conducted himself. Here's what he did. He did everything the right way. That's how he led. He did everything the right way. Here's what I mean. He never took a defensive playoff. He always touched the line when we did ladders. He never went half speed through the drills, right? You know, in practice, you have the option to either go game speed or half speed. He never went half speed. So he wasn't missing layups and throwing, over, throwing it over the backboard. He was always on time. He did all the small things right. And one of the biggest things he did that was huge for us had nothing to do with basketball. Right? Like we would coach our guys. We're like, hey, if you want to be a leader, you got to take ownership. Right? We say that at The View. Like if you want to really lead in your time in college, you got to take some ownership over what God has given you, over where God's putting you. If you're not taking ownership over what God's given you in your life, you're not a leader. I'll just be honest with you. You're not. And this player that we had that was a leader took ownership. And the biggest thing he did that created culture had nothing to do, Cody, with the basketball, but it had to do with trash, with trash. And that's how powerful small things can create culture. See, we would tell our players, hey, you need to take ownership over the gym. When you're in this gym, this is your gym. Like, this belongs to you. Treat it 
like it's your gym and take care of it. And so this player, he was the only one out of all 12 guys who, when he would walk by, perfect. And he would see something on the ground, whether it was bubble gum or whether it was a receipt or whatever the trash may be. He would stop. He would pick it up off the ground. He would take it and he would throw it away without having to be told. And he did that every practice. Every practice, he'd pick up the trash, he'd throw it away. He'd pick up the trash, throw it away. And because that's how he conducted himself when nobody was looking, that's how he conducted himself in drills and in the game and off the court and in the classroom. And he led that way. One of 12. And I'll never forget about three weeks into, this, into the, our training camp, I see two freshmen walk in the gym. And, man, these freshmen are bad. <laughs> I'll just be honest with you. They want it. They want to play, but they're rough and they're all around the edges, which we loved. And they came in, and I'll never forget, they didn't see me sitting in the bleachers, and they walk in, and they pass a piece of trash. None of the seniors are leading the way they're supposed to. It's just this one sophomore that's picking up trash. And they walk in, and they pass it, and they see it, and they keep going, and I'm just watching. And I see one of them stop, freshman. And I hear him say to his buddy, he goes, we need to get that. And they turn around, they walk back, they pick up the piece of trash that was in their gym, and they throw it away. And for me, I've never forgotten that season. I've never forgotten that player. Because even though we had 11 below average leaders and players, that one player, that one leader, Keely, turned the entire culture of the team. And we ended up having a great season, to be honest with you. But here's what I've never forgotten. I learned a biblical lesson through that moment. And it comes from Paul's teaching. In fact, here it is right here. I'll give it to you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, Paul says this. Do not be conceived. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Woo! Bad company corrupts good morals. And I remember thinking to myself, that leader had a choice to make. As he watched this culture that was not healthy, he could either follow his peers and not pick up trash and go half speed through the layups, or he could change the culture. You see, a godly leader either changes culture or they're changed by the culture. And so even to piggyback back on that, in other words, I wrote this down in my notes, the culture of the company you keep will affect you. The culture of the company you keep will affect you, especially if you are not grounded in godliness. The way you change culture the way that player did that season is you are grounded in godliness even when nobody else is grounded in godliness. Let me put it into a, in other words one more time. In other words, it means this. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Show me the company you keep and I'll show you where you are headed. Friendships are like sports teams. And we have a lot of bad sports teams in America. A lot of them. You don't have to go far. And we have a lot of bad friendships, it seems, in this generation. A lot of hurt, a lot of pain. And why is that? Sports teams go bad the same reason friendships go bad. They follow a bad culture. And they don't know how to break it. But godly friends lead to a godly future. And so tonight, here's my two-sided question that I mentioned a few moments ago. I want to ask you, first off, what kind of friend are you? This won't be on the screen, but I'd love for you to write this down. What kind of friend are you to the people in your life? What kind of friend are you? And secondly, what kind of friends are you choosing? As we talk about being secure 
in Christ, who are you surrounded with? What kind of friend are you? And what kind of friend are you choosing? Now, in a generation that craves connection, why are we so disconnected? In a generation that is more digitally connected than ever before, why are we more disconnected spiritually? Why do we experience loneliness and hurt when it comes to friendship? My wife, Hannah, had an incredible quote. I'm going to quote my wife on this, and it'll be on the screen. She said this. She said that friendship is meant to be life-giving. It's designed to challenge you, but ultimately to make you look more like Jesus. You can have good friends, but if they are not pointing you back to Jesus, then they are not fulfilling the purpose of what God intended the friendship to be. I love this part next. I think my wife is a genius. A good friend may show you they care, but a godly friend will show you Christ. Just because you show someone you care does not mean that you are showing them Christ, but when you show them Christ, you are definitely showing them that you care. Amen? Isn't that good? We'll leave that up there. If you want to take a picture of that, take that home with you. I would definitely encourage you to. So as we look at Colossians chapter 3 through the lens of this, I want to give you four quick things on what it means to be a godly friend that come from Paul's exhortation to the Colossians. Now remember, the Colossians are experiencing false teachings, and they are tempted to follow that false teaching. They are tempted to follow false doctrine. And Paul is coming in and correcting their viewpoint on Scripture and what it really means to be a godly follower of Christ. What does it really mean for you in 2022, going into 2023, to be someone that pursues after God, well, Paul's exhortation to them is just as applicable to us today. So if you will, look with me, and we're going to begin to pick this apart. Starting in verse 1, Paul's charge to them is this. This is chapter 3 of Colossians, starting in verse 1. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. And Lord, we thank you for tonight and the opportunity that we have to gather. God, we pray and just ask that you would be glorified. Lord, we pray that you would have every word to say. God, we thank you for your word and how it never returns void. And God, I pray that tonight we would not miss the word that you have for us. Lord, we pray that you would speak so clearly tonight, Lord, and that we would remove any distractions. Lord, I pray you would remove any distractions. Lord, we desire to hear from you. God, I pray for anybody in here who maybe doesn't have a personal relationship with you, that's real. I pray that they would repent and give their lives to you tonight, that tonight would be the night of salvation. And so, Lord, thank you for letting us be here. Thank you for letting us get here safely. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let me give you number one, and we're going to move through these very quickly. Number one is this. A godly friend keeps their mind focused on Christ. A godly friend keeps their mind focused on Christ, right? The first thing Paul says here is set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. So a believer who is following after the Lord is going to keep their mind focused on Christ. In our good friendships, what do we do? We talk about sports. We hang out. We go to comedy shows together. I went to a comedy show the other day, right? We go, to, we go to events together. We do things together. We hang out. We kick it, right? There's good friendships that we have. But as you look at Scripture and as you look at relationships in your life, in order for you in your friendships and in my friendships to go deeper, God has to be involved. Understand this truth, that until the Spirit of God is involved 
in the relationships that you have in your friendships, until he is seated on the throne, until he is exalted the most, your friendships will always be surface level. They will always be things that are just centered on you and the world. But once God begins to get involved in your friendships, once God begins to get involved in your friend groups, that's when relationships begin to go so, so much deeper. One of the reasons why I love that opening illustration about that player seven years ago is that it was a couple of freshmen who bought into the idea of what it means to really be a leader and change culture. And for you guys, no matter your age, no matter how how young you are, whether you are 18, 19, or whether you are 23, you are young in the world's eyes, but you have such a potential to be a leader and to change culture and to impact culture, especially the culture of America that we're surrounded in that is so sinful. You have the influence. You have the voice through the power of God to change the culture around you. And one of the big ways that starts is how you treat people and how you interact with the people that you claim to be closest to. That's where a lot of culture is going to be changed. So hear my charge to you tonight. In the relationships that you have with people in your life, if you want to change culture, start with the people that you are closest to. Start with the people that you claim to be your best friends. If they're your best friends, God should be heavily involved in that relationship, in that friendship. He should be number one in that friendship if you are really going past the surface level. But, scripturally, friendship begins with Jesus Christ. And some of us have poor friendships with other people, and the root of it is because we have a poor friendship with Jesus Christ. Right? We've talked so many times in the last few weeks about Jesus being our Lord and our Master. We understand that truth, that we must submit and follow Him. We also understand that Scripture speaks of Jesus as being a friend to us. In fact, I'll turn your attention to, first off, Colossians chapter 1 that talks about how Jesus, all things were created through him, right? So go back two chapters and look at this. Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 to 17 say this. It says that Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. So let me make two charges to you. Number one, do you have a real, active, living friendship with Jesus Christ? Like, are you a friend of Jesus? Because he comes first. There is no friendship with other people that's healthy and godly if your relationship with Christ is not a priority. He is number one. Because all things were created through him. Like he comes first, whether that's a friendship or whether that's obedience or whether that's your calling. He comes first. Doesn't matter, man. You might have to let your mom down. If your mom ain't down for you living for the Lord, you're going to have to let your mom down. You're going to have to tell her, hey, I got to follow Christ more than I got to follow you, mom. I'm not disrespecting you. But if your parents are not pushing you towards Christ, you are called to obey Christ and to follow him. You are called to obey Christ when the culture goes against you. You're called. So understand, Christ comes first. I mean, he is number one, and that's how it has to be in every area of your life. That is not debatable. So even in this series, who am I? You don't really have anything to offer anybody in your life if you don't know who you are in Christ. I mean, really, let me ask you, what kind of friend am I to you if I don't know who I am? I don't know my morals. I don't know my values. I don't know what's worth I don't know how to treat you. But when you know who you are in Christ, now you have a purpose. Now you have a a value system, a moral system. You know what God's word says for you to live. So do you know who you are in Christ? 
Because when I was lost, I didn't have anything to offer people. When I was living for the world, I didn't have anything to offer people. I could offer them talking about sports. I could offer them hanging out and kicking it. We could go to Zaxby's. We could eat good food, Gavin. We could hang out and kick it. But past the surface level, I didn't have any answers. Why? Because I didn't have Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the solution. He is the answer to our greatest problem, which is sin. So, man, be honest. Like, apart from Christ, you don't have much to offer anybody. You don't have anything to offer your special someone. You don't have anything to offer your friends. You don't have anything to offer your family if you don't have Jesus Christ. Understand, all things in this universe came into being because of Jesus Christ, through him and for him. All of it. So if he reigns over the universe, does he reign over your friend group? Or is he an add-on? Is he a side piece? I just want to ask hard questions. I've been there. I just want to ask the right questions. So when you look at scripture, here's what Jesus told his disciples. This is John 15, verse 15. I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. You have the greatest friendship offered to you, Jay Lee, in Christ. That when everybody else abandons you, when the world forsakes you, when you are hurt and lonely and in despair, you have the greatest friendship offered to you, and that is in Christ. You get that right? A lot of other things start falling into place. But here's what we do. And I've been working with your age group for seven years now. I've learned some tendencies about this generation. I'll be honest. What we do, as blunt and as raw as I can be about it, is we try to have meaningful relationships, but we don't go through Christ to get them. We go around Christ to try to get them. We do. I did. I'd be the first one to say it. Sometimes I fall into it now. Because when you go around Christ to try to get meaningful relationships, that means those relationships don't really have to answer to Christ. That means they answer to you. When you go through Christ for your friendships, oh, that means you and your buddy, y'all got to answer to the Lord for what you're saying and what you're doing. That means me and Deco, if we're claiming that our friendship is built on Christ, then when me and him start to do something that ain't godly, we got to answer for it. We got to say, hey, man, what's that all about, bro? That's not of the Lord. But when we go around Christ and me and Dakota, we don't really talk about Jesus. We don't really talk about church. We don't really talk about the word. You know, we just talk about sports and all these different things. And we just talk about the world. Then when we sin, we don't have to challenge each other or hold each other accountable. It's like, oh, man, just, you know, do what makes you happy, bro. I'm for you, man. That's a good friend, right? If I tell Dakota, man, just do what makes you happy, bro, I'm being a good friend. But when I say Dakota, and praise God, he's living for the Lord, so I can use this as an example. Dakota, that thing in your life, man, I don't think that's of the Lord. The world would say you're not being a good friend. Scripture says you're being a godly friend. I don't know. You tell me. We cannot have meaningful relationships. You can't have a meaningful marriage one day going around Christ, tiptoeing around him. The only way you're going to have a meaningful marriage, the only way you're going to have a meaningful relationship with people in your life is to go through Christ. That means everything you do in that friendship is centered on Jesus Christ. Daniel, that's tough, man. I know. That's the call we have. That's, where, that's the whole idea of picking up your cross and carrying it daily, <laughs> that you die to a lot of things you don't want to die to, right? Like, let's remember this charge to follow Jesus. The friendship he invited us into came with carrying a wooden beam on our cross, <laughs> So if we got to die to something to follow Jesus, if we have to be crucified with our flesh to be friends with Jesus, what is he calling us to do with the people around us? 
Philippians chapter 2, do nothing from unselfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. It's a tough charge. Thank goodness it's not mine. It's Paul's through the power of the Holy Spirit, scripturally to you and me tonight, to live in a way that is godly and treat others in a godly way. So I'll just ask you, do you find yourself living with a friendship with Jesus or is he still somebody you don't really know that well? Dale, how do I know Jesus well? How do I know Hannah well? I talk to her in the morning. I check in with her throughout the day. I talk to her at night. I pursue her. She pursues me. We don't got it perfect, I'll tell you that, but make it a priority. Why? Because it's a two-way street for you with God. If it's not a religion, that means it's a relationship. Do you pursue the Lord? Do you pursue his friendship? Because, man, he's offering it to you. And you know what? You might be sitting there tonight right now, and you might be saying, man, I want that. But praise God, because he wants the same thing with you. He wants to walk with you. He wants to know you. How many of you, we just talked about this with some of our people earlier. How many of you, man, love to be known by somebody in your life? Can we raise our hand to that, right? How many of you love it when somebody in your life really knows you? Like really knows you. And you can just be yourself, and you ain't got to fake nothing. You ain't got to go through the motions. You just get to be you. God knows you deeply, intimately, enough to call you out of your sin and to point you to the cross of Christ. You have that friendship offered to you. And once you begin to do that, once you begin to say, hey, my friendship with Jesus Christ is number one, all of a sudden the friendships in your life begin to come together. I would never go back to my lost friendship with Dakota. Never, not in a million years. Were we good friends? Yeah. Do we have fun? For sure. But being, having a friendship that's built on the Lord is so much better. So for you in your life, evaluate your friendships. What kind of friend are you? How you treat Christ is probably a good reflection of how you treat people. Do you neglect Christ? And I'm just asking the right questions that I ask myself every day. If you find yourself neglecting Christ, you'll probably find yourself neglecting people in your life. What does it look like for you tonight? To not just have friendships with people that are surface level, but to have a friendship with Christ that's deep and then a friendship with other people that's meaningful. Where those friendships begin to fulfill those purposes. Not only that, let me give you number two. Number two is this. A godly friend stops gossip and comparison. One amen in the group. There we go. We're getting there. I'll say it again. Maybe we'll we'll redeem ourselves. A godly friend stops gossip and comparison. Okay, okay, word, okay. There's some people here. (laughs) Amen. A godly friend stops gossip in comparison. Look at verse 5. Paul goes on. He builds on this. He says, therefore, taking what we just talked about, therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. Uh Uh-oh. Man, I hate when Paul gets specific. It's tough because it speaks to you. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you once walked in these things. When you were living in them, he's speaking to believers. But now, put away all the following. Put away your anger. Put away your wrath. Put away your malice. Put away your slander. Put away filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self with its practices. And have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. In Christ, there is not Greek and Jew. 
circumcision and uncircumcision, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. So this idea of being a good friend and a godly friend, right? When you have an issue with somebody, what does a good friend do? They agree with you, right? A good friend will just agree with you. You say, ah, man, I don't like so-and-so. Man, blah, 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 well, so-and-so, whatever, you know, they stepped on my toe and, you know, they scratched my car up and I just hate them. I hope they die, right? Like we, it escalates very quickly. It doesn't take much, right? Like they scratched my car, I hope they die, like, you know, yeah. And then a good friend will be like, man, you know, yeah, we should do something, you know, like, yeah, let's go get their car, right? A good friend, in the world's eyes, is like, ah, well, what kind of car they drive? Let's just go key it. And they're like, oh, okay, you are a good friend, man, appreciate you, right? That's a good friend. A godly friend steps in and stops gossip, stops comparison, definitely stops revenge, a godly friend doesn't stand for that. Good friends will. Godly friends will not. And so let's take this idea and build on it, right? Paul's talking about a godly friend keeps their mind focused on Christ. I can't tell you the amount of friend groups, I can't tell you the amount of people in the last seven years that I've seen get off track with the Lord because they fell into gossip and comparison, comparing themselves to other people. I've seen it over the last seven years. I've seen it in my own life. It is something that Hannah describes as a poison that boils within you, and it only kills you. It hurts you. It affects the people in your life, but that gossip and that comparison you're holding on to is killing you. It is a blade that you are squeezing onto, and you think the harder you squeeze, the less pain it will be. No, it's worse. It's tearing you up, and it's tearing this generation up, this culture we're growing up in where we have access to everything on social media all the time. Gossip and comparison are killing us. And Scripture speaks to it very honestly. It says this, James 1, verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, just one chapter after this, Paul says this. No foul language shall come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need. So that it gives grace to those who hear. And in Proverbs 10, verse 18, it says this, The one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever spreads slander is a fool. It's hard to get away from comparison, but I want to give you some stuff tonight that might help you. My wife always says that gossip begins one of two ways. And I thought this is so good. And this won't be on the screen, but I want to make sure that you get this in your notes. Gossip begins one of two ways. Either one... The people you follow begin to gossip, so you follow their lead, right? We're surrounded by people. Some of us are surrounded by worldly people all the time. Some of us are surrounded by believers all the time that have a hard time controlling their tongue. Like every single one of us goes through this, right? This is a big deal for especially this generation and my generation. Gossip, right? The people you're around begin to do it, and so what do you do? You just kind of jump in and follow their lead. You just kind of go with the flow, right? That's how a lot of gossip starts across our nation, across our world. You follow their lead. You just kind of go with it, right? And it spreads and becomes more and more and it gets worse and it gets so ungodly and it becomes tragic ultimately. Or the number two thing is you see someone that you don't like or you are jealous of or you have covetousness, right? Paul talks about covetousness. You desire something they have. Maybe it's their car. Maybe it's their family. Maybe it's their looks, whatever it may be. If we're going to be honest tonight, let's be really honest. We covet what others have sometimes, which leads us into ungodly comparison which leads us into gossip because there is a form of godly comparison there really is 
it's not all bad. You never hear this. But if Dakota has three verses or three chapters of James memorized, and I haven't memorized scripture the entire year, and I kind of spiritually look at myself and say, man, well, I, this dude, you know, he ain't just bulking here. He's bulking here. Like, this dude knows the word. Like, like, I need to memorize more scripture, right? Like, if I look at Dakota and I get motivated to go memorize more scripture because I compared myself to him, praise God. That's not how we do it, though, is it? Let's be honest, Ethan. That's not how we really do it most times. Like, a lot of times, what do we do? We cut people down because we don't have something they have, and it leads us to fall into sin. Man, so-and-so's family's perfect. They do the beach photo with the matching clothes, the white shirt, and the khaki pants. I ain't never had a beach photo with khaki pants and a white shirt. Never, not in my life. We weren't that family. Praise God. My parents are watching the live stream. They know we weren't that family. We showed up in whatever we had on and took a beach picture. Awkwardly kind of standing, you know, like to the side and stuff. Not even lined up, nothing. Amen, Amen. he wasn't. Yeah, hallelujah. Dakota wasn't. He took up the whole picture. And uh, we, we, because uh, of his shoulders. And uh, we just weren't that family. Praise God, just one us. But man, growing up, it'd be real tempting to look at other people's family and be like, oh man, they got so-and-so. Well, you know what? I'm going to just gossip about them. Right? Like we do that. In college, when it comes to the people around us, we find ourselves comparing. And even when we don't say it, it still kills us. All right, Jesus in the Gospels, there's a moment, I want to put this verse on the screen, where it clearly shows us that Jesus perceived their thoughts. Look at this, Matthew 9, verse 4, speaking to the Pharisees, he says, But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? They ain't even said anything. He perceived their thoughts. God knows your thoughts to the point that that is sin. So even for you to hold ungodly comparison and gossip and slander in your heart is sin. And that's killing you. That is barbed wire around your heart. And the more you live in it, the more it just tightens on your heart. Understand that visual. Barbed wire ain't fun. I don't know if you've ever jumped a fence before. I've jumped a few fences. I've got some clothes ripped because I jumped over a fence. And you jump over the wrong fence... That blade catch you, that's going to rip your entire jeans. You're going to be going home naked, trying to get away from whatever you was doing. I've jumped over some fences in my day. You catch that cut, it hurts. That barbed wire, you can't get out, and you are bleeding. That circle around barbed wire is gossip and ungodly comparison on your heart every day you live in it. And it's just tightening and tightening until you give it to the Lord. Hannah, my wife, always says, a good friend will keep it hidden. A good friend won't ever say it, right? They'll look at you and they'll, they'll wish they had it, but they won't ever say it. They'll just keep it to themselves, but that still kills you. A godly friend doesn't stand for gossip in their own heart, and because they don't stand for ungodly comparison in their own heart, they don't stand for it in their friend group. They don't. They step up and they say something. So for you and your friend group at one of the most crucial times of your life, what does your friend group talk about? You hear that in the room? That's tough. I remember some friend groups I was a part of. We talked about some bad stuff. Everything from sin to other people. One of the first verses I memorized was Psalm 34, 13. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. I memorized that because my lips were full of deceit. Coming off of getting saved. In your friend group, what do y'all talk about? That sounds specific, too. That's a real specific question. I'm telling you, what do you talk about? Is it other people? Do you build them up or do you tear them down? That's a question you have to answer. The great thing, Fernando, when it comes to friend groups, 
It's just like that one player. No matter who you're surrounded by, through the power of the Spirit, you can change any culture you are involved in. You, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can change whatever culture you're involved in. And it starts right here. A godly friend doesn't stand for gossip in comparison. Do you? Do I? I need to keep moving, but I do pray tonight you will evaluate what you dwell on and what your friend group talks about. One of the things I wrote down in my notes is your friendships will never last if you are secretly comparing yourself. Your silence will grow into idolatry. And when you begin to idolize something, it consumes you. Paul says there is no Greek, there is no Jew, there is no circumcised and uncircumcised, slave or free, but Christ is in all and is all. There should be no division among believers. There should be no division among godly communities. There is only Christ. Is that your community? Is that you? If it's not, in your sphere, in your friend group, if there is ungodliness, it means there is a part of that friendship that is not focused on Christ. Deal with it. Deal with it. Or 18 to 24-year-olds, it's going to go into your next season. And when you do, praise the Lord, move on to young marriage, when you move into young adults, when you move into a career, when you go to your next season, you're going to be struggling with the exact same issues that you had in college because what you don't deal with in college will stick with you into the next season. That's why it's so crucial to get it now so that you're ready for what's next. I need to keep going, but I do pray you hear the charge tonight. A godly friend doesn't stand for gossip in comparison. Kills it for the glory of the Lord. But not only that, number three, a godly friend seeks forgiveness. A godly friend seeks forgiveness. Forgiveness is tough. You ever had to forgive somebody before, like really, truly? Have you ever had to really forgive somebody? I'm not talking about what we talked about earlier with somebody scratching your car. I'm talking about how I remember a sermon I preached during our real love sermon series. Much different time for us, much different era, and I remember preaching a message on forgiveness in that series about what it really means to love the Lord and forgive people around us. I'll never forget, a student came up to that, me that night, he was an older student getting ready for the next season, and I preached on forgiveness, and he came up to me after the message and dapped me up, I said, what's up my guy, I said, good, it's good to see you, man, I said, you too, I remember the encounter, and he said, man, I want you to know something, and he pulled me over to the side, right over there, by the projector. And he pulled me over here. He said, man, I want you to know something. I said, what's that? And you never know as a pastor, man. You never know what you're going to get. And uh, he said, uh, Dakota's laughing. He said, uh, I said, man, what you got? He said, man, I want you to know you preached this message tonight. After the message, I went out to my little light change. I can see you guys now. My goodness. It's great. Wow, this is a lot different. Hello. Got that bright light in my eyes. And uh, let's keep going. We ain't going to let distractions get us tonight. How many of y'all don't want distractions to get us tonight? Amen. Hallelujah with me, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Right when I was about to tell you what he said, too. See, that's how I get you. And uh, he pulls me to the side. He says, I want you to know something. He preached this message on forgiveness. Right after the message, I went out to my car in the parking lot. This is what he said. I went out to my car in the parking lot, and I called my mom. I said, why'd you call your mom? He said, I went out there, I called my mom, because I needed to tell her that after nine years of holding a grudge against her tonight, I forgave her for the first time. He said, I needed to come back in and tell you what God just did in my life because I think it's important for you to know. I don't want to share details or names, but nine years, your mom, that's serious forgiveness. Have you ever had to forgive somebody like that for real? 
like genuinely, like have you ever been wronged in a way that like was family or close friendship where you had to really like die to your flesh and say, hey, I don't want to forgive you, but because Christ has forgiven me, I will. Have you ever done that? It is one of the most powerful, powerful things that you will ever experience when you choose to forgive. Forgiveness was offered to you through Christ. Romans 5, 8 says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Forgiveness has been offered to you. My question to you is, are you a godly friend that's willing to forgive? And I mean really forgive. You know what? Some of you may want to have a conversation about family or something in your life. I'll be around. So will Hannah. And we would love to talk to you about how to help and maybe pray for you, especially going into Thanksgiving. I can't imagine how timely that is. But if God will forgive you, will you forgive those in your life? I do have a couple more things to give you before we close. And one of them is this. When you look at Peter and Jesus' friendship, it looked like their friendship was coming to an end. Remember when Peter, we talked about this in April, when he denied Jesus three times. Do you remember that moment? He denies Jesus three times. Some of us in the room have denied Jesus. Like literally, some of us are literally at a place where we were offered salvation, we were shared the gospel with, and we said no. And some of us have rejected Jesus, like in our day-to-day life. Peter denies Jesus three times after walking with him for three years. Here's the text. It's John chapter 21, verse 15 to 19. It says this. I think it'll be on the screen. It says, when they had eaten, it says, Jesus looks at Peter Let me see, where are we here? I have a different translation. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. And then he asked him a third time, after he denied him three times, he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he had to ask him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, said Jesus. Jesus offers forgiveness to Peter when it didn't really look like Peter deserved it. You've been offered forgiveness. You and I are Peter. We've been offered forgiveness through Christ. And now we can offer it to other people. Psalms 103, verse 11 and 12. If you're taking notes, you can write this one down as well. It says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our sins from us. A godly friend says sorry. A godly friend forgives. But not only that, number four, I got one more for you. A godly friend dwells in God's word. Look with me, starting in verse 12. This is chapter 3. It says, Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And then our last verse tonight says this, And whatever you do, in word or in deed, 
Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Can we give God praise for his word tonight? Amen. Hallelujah. Amen.